Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 5 is found on page 1114 of the Pew Bible. Uh, we've been looking at the Beatitudes the last number of weeks, and this evening we'll be looking at the fourth Beatitude. So listen to God's word. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, I hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving and all the good food that went with that. And then we're all looking forward to Christmas and looking forward to, again, lots of good food and candy that's associated with Christmas. Food is such an important part of life. And increasingly, we are getting anxious about food, about the quality of our food. We want to know what's in our food. We want to know where our food is from. There are more and more food allergies and food intolerances these days. And so we're careful about what we eat and what we drink. And this concern for food is now becoming a lifestyle. It's a way to mark our identity. You are what you eat is how the slogan goes. If you eat unhealthy food, well, you're unhealthy. What you consume will affect you. And so we see Jesus using this concept in this beatitude that we're looking at this evening. But it's not to describe what you eat or drink physically, but it's about what you consume spiritually. And let us consider what it is that we desire, and more importantly, what we should desire living in God's kingdom. And so the beatitudes, they are for believers, they are for Christ's disciples, and having the right values for living in Christ's kingdom. And that includes having the right desires. When you have it right, you're promised blessing. And so I want you to notice that you are to desire righteousness, but only Christ is your righteousness. So you are to desire for him, and in him you're filled, in him you're satisfied, and you'll know blessing. And so children, I encourage you to draw a picture of when you are very hungry, and this is the same desire that you should have for Jesus Christ. So firstly, consider what it is that you desire. Consider what it is you desire. So Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now, hunger and thirst maybe don't seem that relevant to us today. All of us were confident about our next meal. There's food in our cupboards. There's food in our fridges. We won't go hungry. But food was a concern for many of Jesus' original audience. There were many who went hungry, who were thirsty, who wouldn't know where their next meal would come from. 
But while we're not concerned about our next meal, we are all hungering and thirsting for something. And Jesus is really saying, what is it that you desire? What is it that you want? Now, a frequent topic in our home at the moment is what our children want for Christmas. There is a particular toy or a game that is needed. There's a hunger for this toy. There's a thirst for this game. Only when they have what they want will there be happiness. Now, we go through this every year. And as parents, we have caught on to the fact these toys, these games, they never deliver all that they promise. And so children, that's all children, wouldn't it be better to get a gift that's really useful rather than something that you're only going to play with for a short time? And Jesus helps us identify what that gift is. It's a gift of righteousness. That is what you really want. Maybe you don't realize it. Sometimes our kids get beyond themselves, they are irritable, and it's because they don't realize that they're hungry or that they're tired. And they fight it and they say, I'm not hungry or I'm not tired. But once they're fed, once they go to sleep, they finally acknowledge, yes, that is what we need. But that can also be true about righteousness. You maybe don't realize you need it, but you do need it. Everyone in this room needs righteousness. I wonder if you've been given a gift and you initially think, why did they give that to me? What am I going to use this for? But it turns out to be a really useful present. Righteousness is the gift that is really useful. Romans 5:17. for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. This gift of righteousness, it is the one that will give you life. There are many things that we desire in this life. There are many things that we hunger and thirst for. But Jesus is reminding us in this beatitude that the one thing that we are to desire is that of righteousness. That's why he says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Kingdom living is seeking first the kingdom. It is prioritizing righteousness. So secondly, righteousness is what you need. But what is righteousness? Have you had the experience of receiving a gift and you open it up and you want to be excited because the person who gave it to you is watching and waiting for your reaction. But after a while, you have to admit, thank you, but what is it? Maybe that's your response to the gift of righteousness. Or maybe you're having a negative response. It's like receiving a present and it's not what you want. It's ugly, it's not useful. And that might be your view of righteousness. Often when we think of righteousness, the first thought that comes to our head is self-righteousness. We think of those who believe that they are always right and make us feel like we are always wrong. That form of righteousness is full of pride and condescension. That is not righteousness. Or maybe your view of righteousness is simply your attempt at trying to do the right thing. It's full of good intentions. You mean well but it's certainly subpar. Again, that's not righteousness. 
It's only when you fully understand righteousness will you see that it is something incredibly attractive, that it's something that you will hunger and you will thirst for. So what is meant by righteousness? Well, John Stott helpfully describes how righteousness in the Bible has at least three aspects, legal, moral, and social. So there is legal righteousness. This is what it means to be in a right relationship with God. You are to be righteous. You are to be good. Unless you are righteous, you will have no standing before God. And that presents a problem. No one is righteous. No one has a standing before God because we are all sinful. It's no wonder that you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, for without it, you cannot come before God. Well, the second aspect of righteousness is moral righteousness. It's a righteousness that pleases God. It's living according to God's way. That means not living in a sinful way. Instead, it's living in conformity to God's will. You are obeying his commands. And sadly, this moral righteousness is not a priority for many of us. Comfort and convenience is instead our priority. Do good rights, we obey any of the Ten Commandments that suit us as if they were the Ten Suggestions. Sadly, righteousness, doing what God has told us to do in his word, simply because he says so, is all too frequently regarded as optional, even for Christians. And this attitude does not speak of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Instead, it speaks of simply snacking. It's seeking to live righteously when it suits us. And righteousness also can't be a case of simply doing the right thing, but doing it for the wrong reasons. We read in Matthew 5, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they were known for how scrupulously they kept God's law. They applied God's law to every area of their lives. But Jesus is saying, your righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees. For while they kept the law, they did not keep it for the right reasons. They did it for the wrong reasons. They took pride in their observance of God's law. They thought too highly of themselves. And as a result, they looked down on others. And so your righteousness has to extend even to your motivations. You have to obey out of the right motives of seeking to please God. We can acknowledge that we are lacking in this righteousness. And so you are to hunger for it. And then there is the third aspect of righteousness. A social righteousness where we seek a world free from sin. When this world has been made perfect and been made whole again. No longer is it tainted by disease and warfare. No longer will we read of massacres and tragedies. All wickedness will be removed. And it's no wonder that this righteousness is appealing. We watch the news. And after seeing what's happening in Israel and seeing what's happening in our own country, don't we hunger and thirst for a righteous world where sin no longer dominates the headlines? And so we are desperate for righteousness. In the same way, when you're thirsty, you're desperate for a glass of water to quench your thirst. Well, in the same way, we seek righteousness. 
So how do we get this righteousness? Well, thirdly, only Christ is your righteousness. And so you are to hunger and thirst for him. So in hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're hungering and thirsting for Christ. And so righteousness is not abstract. It's not impersonal. No, Jesus is the one who is your righteousness. And that's because we have no righteousness of our own. Just consider even your attempts at righteousness. Every good thing that we do. It's always tainted with sin. Isaiah the prophet says there are nothing but filthy rags are good works. Maybe one of your younger children, one of your toddlers decides to do the dishes. Well, you know you are going to have to do those dishes again. They are not clean to a high enough standard. Your attempts at righteousness are just the same. But it's worse than that because the standard is perfection. A perfect righteousness, which is impossible for you to attain. And since only God is righteous, we therefore need God. Jesus is God. He is the righteous one. And through him, he makes us righteous. That's what he did at the cross. He exchanged his righteousness for your sinfulness. And as a result, you are justified. God the judge has declared you to be righteous. We read of this in 2 Corinthians 5. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why you hunger and thirst for him. You see him as essential, that you need him. So in the same way that you need food to survive, you need Christ. You need his righteousness to be declared justified in God's sight. You need the righteousness of Christ for your salvation. Do good rights, Jesus is calling us to get fanatical about righteousness. After all, we're pretty fanatical about eating, aren't we? We never complain about our constant need to eat three times a day or even more often, we get an annoying urge to eat something. So we do. We don't complain about the awkwardness of this appetite and ignore it or suppress it. Rather, we do something about it. We feed it. We don't call it fanatical to eat a decent meal three times a day. Well, in the same way, you are to hunger and you are to thirst for Christ's righteousness. It's not fanatical. It's a matter of life or death. And so in Christ, we are justified. But we are also sanctified in Christ. Not only are you declared righteous as a result of Christ's righteousness, you are becoming righteous. That outward declaration, it becomes an inward reality inside us. And again, this is a result of Christ and his righteousness. You are united to him. He is sanctifying you. He is enabling you. He is strengthening you as you pursue holiness. And so you are to hunger and thirst for righteousness to be a reality in your life. The result is you desire to do the right thing. You desire to obey God. And so you hunger more and more for righteousness. Matthew is an example of this. When Jesus called Matthew, he called him to follow him. And Matthew did just that. He left his job in the tax office where he stole from the people and he instead brought Jesus into his home. And so his faith in Christ, it was not a secret. And he brought others to have dinner with Jesus. For Matthew and the other tax collectors and sinners, they hungered for Christ. 
They wanted him because they recognized that he is their righteousness. And Jesus says this clearly when he says in John 6, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. And John 14, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. You are to feed on Christ. You are to thirst and drink of Christ. And we do that this evening as we celebrate communion. We are remembering how we depend on Christ and his righteousness. We have none of our own. So we need Christ's righteousness to be justified, to be sanctified. Well, fourthly, the promise is, is that you will be filled. In Mary's song, the Magnificat, we read of how God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And the rich are those who are trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their own righteousness. They will not be filled, but they are hungry and empty. The hungry are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, how they are lacking in righteousness, how they have nothing. They are the ones who will be filled. When you're healthy, you have a good appetite. When you're ill, you have no appetite. And so a healthy appetite for a believer is to hunger, thirst for righteousness, is to desire Christ. And in Christ, you are filled. But you will find yourself wanting Christ more and more. Every year for my birthday, Heather makes me my favorite dessert, Becked Alaska. The bottom layer is the sponge cake. The next layer, there is ice cream. And then the third layer, the best, is the meringue on top. And it's delicious. When I get a slice, I'm filled. I'm satisfied. There's nothing better. But then I hanker after another slice. I want more of this dessert. That should be our desire for Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, a Christian is one who at one and the same time is hungering and thirsting, and yet he is filled. And the more he is filled, the more he hungers and thirsts. This is the blessedness of the Christian life. Only in Christ are we filled. So nothing on this earth will do it. Remember the prodigal son. He longed to fill himself with what the pigs were eating. The prodigal had gone off. He went to the far country to fill his hunger. And it left him starving. Only when he returns to the father does he know feasting. And it's only when we reach heaven will we be completely filled. For then we will be completely sanctified. And as a result, you are to look forward to heaven. Do not be consumed with this earth, with all of its superficial provisions. No, you are to look forward to heaven. No longer will you be struggling with sin. No longer will you be wondering, what is the right thing to do? The filling that we know here on earth is only a foretaste of something much greater to come when we will be completely filled. And we read of it in Revelation 7. There shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Peter also speaks of it. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Christ's righteousness, you are filled. In Christ's righteousness, you're filled to all eternity. Well, then fifthly, you know blessing when you hunger for Christ, for in him you feast. This beatitude, it follows on from the previous beatitudes. We are poor in spirit. We are spiritually bankrupt. We mourn over our sins. We are convicted by them. We demonstrate godly sorrow. We recognize that we are meek. In our humility, we see that our strength is found in Christ. And this evening, we recognize what our real need is. It is for righteousness. Righteousness not found in ourselves, but outside of ourselves. It's found in Christ. And so we can be sure we will be filled. And each beatitude speaks of how we can know blessing. And isn't that certainly true for this beatitude? And we know this blessing tonight as we take part in communion. It's sin that removes that hunger, but it's God that gives us the appetite back that we seek Christ. That's why we long to sit at the table. We know blessing as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. As we come to the table, we feast on Christ and we are strengthened as a result. Augustine writes, you have made us for yourself and our gut will rumble until we feed on you. Are your guts rumbling this evening? And our gut, and that should be your desire, is how you feed more and more on Christ. Anything else that will not give you blessing, and that's what our world needs to hear. You may remember back in the 1980s, during the time of the severe famine in Ethiopia, Bob Geldof, he launched Live Aid, and there were huge concerts in Wembley in London and also in Philadelphia, and it was to raise money to feed the starving, to put pressure on governments, to put this on their agenda, to eradicate hunger. Well, let's eradicate hunger tonight. Let's end spiritual hunger. This world needs this blessing. It needs Christ. It needs to know his righteousness. This is the message the world needs to hear. Not what this world has to offer, which moth and rust destroy. This world only offers emptiness. Tolstoy writes, everybody thinks of changing humanity. Nobody thinks of changing himself. And so we demonstrate to this world around us when we are not hungry for fame or for money or power, but instead we are hungry for Christ, evident in you seeking him whether that's in your Bible reading or in your prayers, in your desire for the preaching of God's word or in fellowship with his people. This is how you will know blessing. And a watching world will see this. So you are to desire righteousness, but only Christ is your righteousness. And so you are to desire him, so you will be filled, and so you know blessing. Scrivener writes, a Christian is simply the person who comes to the end of themselves, they say, there is no goodness, blessedness, or justice in me. Instead, we crave Christ. And here's the promise to be laid hold of by all hungerers and thirsters today. Do you hunger and thirst for true goodness, for the blessed life, for the world to be set to rights? Most fundamentally, do you want Jesus? 
will then famish one be filled. So desire righteousness, but only Christ is your righteousness. In him you will be filled. In him you know blessing. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are full of needs and wants and desires, and yet it's often for the wrong things, things that will only make us hungry again. Instead, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, a righteousness that is found in Christ alone. Only he will fill us. And as we prepare to sit at the table tonight, help us to seek Christ and no blessing as a result. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, please turn your psalm book as we sing Psalm 42. Psalm 42c, this psalm speaks of longing for God. The psalmist is facing trial and discouragement, and yet he still longs for God in that. And that's because he recognizes that God is his hope, that God is his helper. In him, he knows blessing. Let's stand and sing Psalm 42C. Mm -hmm. 